Imagine a man who was born into slavery. He was raised a slave and trained to be a slave. Slavery is all that he knows. And then one day he is freed. He's given the papers declaring that he is a free man and he is a slave no more. But what would you say if the next morning found this man doing the same things for the same man in the same way that he did when he was a slave? If we were told this story, we would conclude one of two things. That this isn't real because no freed slave would ever go back to slavery. Or that this was a foolish decision. Why would someone willingly go back to slavery when they had been set free from it? But I propose this morning that this happens all of the time. Now, not physical slavery, but spiritual slavery. Jesus promised freedom to all who followed him. However, there are many who believe in Jesus that never really experience freedom from Jesus. Faith in Jesus, it is their emancipation papers, if you will. But they've never really experienced the freedom that Jesus intends for them to have. And it's sad because there are, I'm afraid, many genuine believers in Jesus that never come to the place where they experience the freedom of God. Now, As a result, their Christian life is miserable. It's defeated. Rather than their relationship with Jesus providing them joy and peace and life in all of its abundance, it is a source of frustration. It is a source of discouragement. It is a source of anxiety and worry in their lives. Now, if this is you today, I do have good news. God's plans are far better than worry and anxiety, discouragement and defeat and frustration. God intends for all of his people to live an abundant life and to experience true freedom in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at how we can do that today. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. Verse 30 is where we're going to start. It's page 817 in the Pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendant, have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's pray. Our father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we thank you today that your plans for us are great. We thank you today that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. We thank you that the cross and our faith in Jesus and what has happened on the cross, 
that God, while it does change our eternal destiny, that Lord, it also changes our life on this earth. Father, when Jesus talked about being born again, that was a a real thing. We are we are changed from who we were to who we are in Christ. Father, many of us today, we we either do not understand who we are in Christ or we have problems believing that we are who Scripture says that we are. And so we live far below your plans for our lives. Today, as we look at what Jesus said about being free. Father, let us take this to heart. Let us be challenged by this. Let us embrace this. Father, if there are any today that are enslaved by by sin. Or any number of other things, God, that could enslave us in this life. Let these words be a a glorious good news that shines into their hearts and, and shows them a new way of life. Let us leave here, Father, knowing that we can be free indeed because it is the Son of God who sets us free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Let us respond in ways that demonstrate Jesus is Lord over our lives. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Two truths stand out to me about this passage. First is that we that Jesus promises freedom. Verse 32, he says, you shall be made free. And in verse 36, he says, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, the second truth is that this freedom is conditional. Right? It starts with believing in Him. It continues to abiding in His Word and knowing the truth. And that truth is what makes us free. So we believe in Jesus, then we become his disciples and we follow Jesus. And at that point, Jesus sets us free. So the the key truth today is this, is that those who follow Jesus receive freedom from Jesus. Now, and we'll get to this again, but I do want to say up front, that is important that it is for those who follow Jesus. If I am not willing to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus, then really this promise is not for me. I must be his disciple. I must be following Jesus. And then the promise is mine. That Jesus, the son, will make me free indeed. But if I am a follower of Jesus, if I am a disciple of Jesus, then I can be assured it is God's will that I be set free. The the person who follows Jesus never has to wonder if if God's will is for them to be freed from all of the things that hold them bondage. It is 100% of the time. So if we're disciples of Jesus and want to be freed by Jesus, what actions do we take? Well, first, we have to study Scripture. 
Notice that Jesus said in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Right, so one of the ways I can tell, how do I know if I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, do I abide in the word of God? Now, abide, it means to dwell in or to continue in. In some ways, it pictures a person dwelling in their home. And the idea that the disciple of Jesus continues in Scripture. The disciple of Jesus makes Scripture their home. Now, this is more than reading an Our Daily Bread type devotion. This is more than listening to a sermon. This is consistently being in Scripture. Seeking to learn all that you can. As we make Scripture our home, we learn much about the freedom that is ours through Jesus Christ. For instance, we learn that Jesus frees us from guilt for sin. Now, I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But I have read so many things that tell me that the one of the number one things that holds back People who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord is sin. Not just necessarily present sin, but guilt for past sin. Guilt for current sin. Right? This, this concept that if I was truly following Jesus, I would be better than I am. And that guilt for sin, it holds us down and it holds us back. And, and it prevents us from being, being able to be who Jesus intends for us to be. Guilt for sin is a terrible burden to bear. Living with it, it puts us under extreme pressure. It discourages us. It defeats us. Causes us to to never feel we could ever be good enough to serve Jesus, to live for Him. To read things like this and say, oh, if only that could be true for me. But Scripture does promise that there is freedom. From this guilt. But like many things, that freedom, it is conditional. But look at David's experience. David said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old throughout my groaning. All the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Now, if you're familiar with the life of David, this is one of the two psalms that he wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. Now, if you know about that story, once David sinned, He didn't immediately confess it to God. Rather, David tried to cover it up. He tried to to bring in Bathsheba's husband and and try to have him to lay with his wife so that when she became pregnant, it would look like it was from her husband and not David in adultery. When the husband would not do that, David had him murdered. And during after the time of mourning, he took Bathsheba to be his wife so it would look like that the child was his naturally and, and through the proper way. He did all that he could to cover up his sin. But this is what happened to him. This is his testimony of what was going on as he covered up his sin. As he kept silent. Basically, the hand of the Lord pressed upon him. David knew he had sinned. The Spirit of God convicted him and pressed on him over and over. And he never felt any peace. He never could escape from that. I... I relate to David in this. I remember a time in my life where I was living in sin 
And I would not confess it because I wasn't willing to leave it yet. And out in public, I could put on a good face and I could act like my life was grand. But privately, I hated being alone. I hated the nighttime. When it was just me and the quiet and God. How his hand pressed upon me. I did all that I could to to push all of that away. I would stay up until I was so tired. I knew that when I laid down, I would fall asleep and I would not be able to think. I constantly was watching movies or something like that to keep my mind occupied and away from what was going on in my life. I was trying all that I could. To numb the pain of this guilt. But like David, I found that there was a release from this. David goes on and he says, I acknowledged my sin and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If I'm remembering properly, the New Living Translation there at the last of verse 5 says, And all my sin is gone. It pictures David confessing his sin and instantly God taking it away. But God did not leave David swinging in the wind to, well, I don't know, David, this was pretty bad. Well, you're going to have to prove to me that you're sincere, David. No, David went to the Lord and he confessed his sin. And he found that there was forgiveness. There was release from the slavery, the the being beat down. By guilt. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus frees us from the weight, the pressure that comes from guilt for sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, it talked about our iniquities being taken from us as far as the east is from the west. Other places in the Old Testament talk about it being cast into the depths of the sea. Hebrews talks about God remembering it no more. The overall picture in Scripture is that when God forgives our sin, it is forever gone. That we don't have to live under the guilt of what we've done. That God has taken that away. He has restored us. He has received us. We're free. Free from the guilt of sin. Jesus frees us from the guilt for sin. But Jesus frees us from slavery to sin. Now Jesus brings this up in verse 34. Most assuredly I say to you. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, right? Is. Not could be, not might be. Is. Sin is a habitual part of our lives. We're enslaved by it. But Jesus doesn't intend for us to be enslaved by that sin. But apart from Him, that's what we are. Apart from His grace and apart from His salvation and apart from His Spirit, we are slaves to our sinful nature and our sinful desires. But when we come to Jesus, we are set free. But now I like this passage because it does give us the the picture 
uh, of past and present. Right? In the past, we were slaves of sin. Right? In the present, we have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. That's good news. Right? But, but notice that this freedom, that it's also conditional. But thanks, but God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine that you were delivered and have been set free from sin. And so the picture is we were slaves to sin. We heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. We repented of our sin. We believed in Jesus and then Jesus set us free from that sin. And made it so that we could become slaves or servants of righteousness. So that we could live righteously. We could do righteously. That we could be righteous. This freedom from slavery to our sinful desires. And our sinful nature. It is available to every person who follows Jesus. It is promised to us if we follow Jesus. But Jesus also frees me from legalism. Now, legalism is essentially a a performance-based religion. Legalism gives you a list of do's and don'ts that you have to do in order to be accepted by God. If you you do all of your do's and you don't do any of your don'ts, God will love you. And if you do all of your do's and you don't do any of your don'ts, then God will bless you. And if you do all of your do's and you don't do any of your don'ts, then God will save you. And if you keep doing your do's and you keep not doing your don'ts, then God will keep you saved. Now, this is a form of slavery and it breeds fear, insecurity and misery. But it breeds fear and insecurity because how do you ever know you've done enough? I mean, How can I be sure I have done enough to make God love me? Because I can look and I can always see people who do less than me. But I also see people who do more than me. How do I know when I've done enough for God to love me? For God to save me? For God to to keep me? It also brings misery. Because you have to do your do's. And you can't do your don'ts. I mean, you have to. You don't, it's not about joy and peace and believing. It's not about hope. It's not about the love of God being shed abroad in your heart. You, you have to do them. Because if you don't, God might break your leg. Or He might burn your house down. Or if you're going on a long trip, you better be really good leading up to it or God might cause your tire to blow out. Right? You live in this constant state of, of misery. I Because anything, if you're like me anyway, anything you have to do, you eventually hate to do. Right? Anything you just have to do, you will eventually hate to do. And that's legalism. And it also, it breeds a sense of entitlement and likely anger at God. See, it breeds entitlement because if I do my do's and I don't do my don'ts, well, then God owes me, right? 
I mean, if I if I do my dues, then God owes me. He needs to to make my life easy. He needs to bless me and he needs to protect me and he needs to make sure all of these things happen in my life like they're supposed to be. And if he doesn't, God has failed me. I I deserve this blessing. The reality is the feeling that God owes us eventually leaves us disillusioned with God because God never feels that he owes us anything. God knows that everything He does is grace and mercy toward us, not ever a sense of of debt. Legalism will cause us to attempt to put God in our debt to make Him our servant. And oh, my friends, that will never happen. The great and awesome God of heaven will never be your servant. He will never be in your debt. And we can be freed from that. Jesus has come that we might be free. Jesus had already set the Galatian believers free from slavery to their sinful nature. So Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Jesus had already set them free from their sinful nature and slavery to their sin. But then false teachers named the Judaizers came in and and started trying to bring them under the bondage of the law that they had to to do their do's and not do their don'ts. And they were considering, and Paul said, going from slavery to sin to slavery from the law, that's not any better. You're just going from slave to slave. Jesus has set you free. It is for freedom that He sets you free. Stand firm in that freedom. Slavery is slavery. Jesus has set us free. And that freedom allows us not to have a list of of do's and don'ts that we have to do. It enables us to love our Savior. To be His friend. To serve Him because we love Him. To rest confidently in His grace For our acceptance and our salvation. To look at the cross and know that I am loved far more than I could ever fathom. And it frees me to live a life of joy and peace and believing and abounding in hope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the life we've been freed to live. Not a legalistic list. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Jesus set us free from legalism. But it's not just these things that I've mentioned. Here are some more. Worry and anxiety. Broken hearts. Spiritual defeat. Past failures. Drifting through life. And fear. Just to name a few. But we will never know what Scripture promises is ours. In Christ, if we are not studying Scripture, if I want to be his disciple that experiences freedom, I must be in the word. I must make the Bible my home. Study Scripture. (coughs) Secondly, believe Scripture. Jesus says in verse 32 that when you abide in the word, you shall know the truth 
and the truth shall make you free. But no, here it means more than an intellectual knowledge of the truth. It implies knowing the truth is the truth or believing it. Right? I once worked with an atheist who did not believe the word of God to be true, but he had studied it and he could quote scripture and he could explain certain fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. But he didn't believe it. But he's not unique in this. Check out this quote. I love this quote. Well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. You're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Now, that quote could be given by any conservative evangelical preacher or believer in the world. But does anyone know who actually said it? It's a man named Christopher Hitchens, who is a well-known, was a well-known atheist, who actually described himself as an anti-theist. He didn't just not believe in God, he was against the very idea of God. Yet he knew enough scripture and what it said about Jesus to, to correctly articulate the doctrine of the uniqueness and necessity of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And yet he never embraced that truth himself. He knew the truth, but that truth did not set him free because he did not believe the truth. See, it's not intellectual knowledge of scripture that sets us free. It's knowing that Scripture is truth that sets us free. Now, let me show you this from Scripture. The author of Hebrews says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, this passage is in context of a warning, but not following the example of the Israelites who didn't enter the promised land after they were freed from Egyptian slavery. Now, if you remember the story, Right. God sent Moses. Moses spoke. God did great things. He delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery through power and signs and wonders that basically left Egypt in desolation at the, the fact that God was so awesome and so powerful. So God leads them out with a pillar of cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night. He rains manna down upon them as they wander. He brings water out of a rock to feed, to water the nation. He does all of these things. And then they get right up to the edge of the Jordan River. And they're about to go in and take their promised land. And they send out 12 spies who go and they come back and they say, oh, the land is as good as we've always believed it was. And then 10 of them say, but we can't do it. There are giants in the land. The walls are high and strong. Their soldiers are mightier than us. While we were like grasshoppers in their sight. We, we can't take the land. We can't possibly do it. But God told them, go and, and take the land anyway. But the people listened to the evil and unbelieving reports. And they didn't believe that God could or that God would deliver the land into their hand and they refused to enter. After this unbelieving disobedience, God was angry at them and he told them they could not go in. Now, here's how this relates to what we're talking about this morning. 
I think about the truths involved in this situation. God had promised to give them a land of their own. God had promised to give them victory over their enemies. God had promised to be with them and never forsake them throughout any of their journeys. God had the power to give them the land and victory over their enemies. Now, did they have an intellectual knowledge of this truth? Yes. They had been raised in Egyptian slavery, and the only time they had hope was when they talked about what their God had promised. God had promised Abraham to give his descendants a land. And he would come and visit them in the land of Egypt, and he would deliver them with great power and great might. He would take them into the land. He would bring judgment on the people of the land. And he would give the people a land that filled with milk and honey. Houses they did not build. Fields they did not plant. They knew the truth. But did they experience what God had for them? No. Why not? Because they did not believe. Their problem was not a lack of knowledge. It was a lack of faith. It is great for us to study Scripture. That was the first point. We must study Scripture. But as we study Scripture, we must see it as more than a collection of cool stories and neat teaching. As we study Scripture, we must see it as truth. Our knowledge of what we read will do us no good. If we do not believe it. Now, there are two aspects of belief that must be present before we experience the freedom that Jesus promises us in this passage. I I must believe it's right. Jesus says that by abiding in his word, we know the truth and that truth sets us free. Now, this implies that we know that his word is truth, that it's right In what it says. So if it says. That we can be free from these things. And it's right. That's that's a real thing. That's a right that we would believe that. That that's the truth. That we can be. I have to believe it's right. But I also have to believe it's real. Not only do we need to believe it's right. We also have to believe that it's real. And I bring this up. Because what I'm afraid of. Is that for many Many people today, many believers today, we see Scripture as a a pie-in-the-sky kind of an ideal. That's the way that it should be. And if the stars were aligned and if everything was just right, that's how it would be. But here in the real world, well, here in the real world, it's different. Right? That's how it should be, but that's not how it will be. But what if? What if Scripture isn't meant to be a pie-in-the-sky kind of an ideal, but reality? What if what Scripture says is true? What if that's meant to really be lived out here and now in our life? What if what Scripture says is the way that we should live? It's the way that we could be, not just should be, but could be. That I really could be free Of the things scripture says I can be free from. That when we read it and it says these things. 
You are free from this, that he does this, that he works this, that rather than see that and go, if only we would look at that and we could say, yes, Lord, that's mine. That is for me right here, right now, today. Do you believe that scripture is real? Do you believe that the things it talks about will really happen in our lives? So let's go back to the idea of being free. These are just some of the things Scripture talks about. Hey, I read this morning, Luke 4, Jesus came to, to heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 147 says a similar thing. Psalm 34, 18 says something similar. So we would believe it's right because it's Scripture, I hope, but do we believe it's real? Whatever has broken our hearts and has left us sort of down and despairing that there is healing from that, that Jesus really can heal that broken heart. Or, or defeat. First John says that, that, that what overcomes the world, but our faith, we are meant to overcome. Not just survive, not meant to just get through, but, but overcome. Is that real? I mean, do you believe that really faith in Jesus can enable us to overcome all of the the battles we face in the world, the flesh and the devil? Our past failures. I love this. Romans 8, 28, familiar passage. That God works all things together for those who love God and for the called according to his purpose for them. Right now, all things, it means all things, all bad things. And all good things. And it not only means bad things that have happened to us, but bad things that were our fault. But it is a a picture of a God who is so great that He can overcome all of our past failures. And through our failures, bring a win. He can bring victory into our lives. Something that would be for our good, for His glory, to promote His kingdom and help the gospel go forth. Do you believe that's real? That no matter what you've done in the past, God can bring a win out of it. (coughs) Or fear. Man, a lot of people, a lot of believers live in a constant state of fear. Fear over the news. Fear over politics. Fear over the economy. Fear over their safety. Fear about the fact they're not afraid. I mean, people are just fearful people. But what about the fact Scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control? So anytime that that fear overwhelms me and draws me back, I can say, well, that's not God. I mean, God would never give me a spirit of fear. This isn't God holding me back in in terror. Do we believe that's real? That instead of fear, God has given us power, the ability to love and self-control to do what needs to be done. And so many more. So many more. The scripture talks about. Do you believe that these things are real? Do you look at this list and say, yes, Lord, let it be. Or do you look at the list and say, boy, I wish But I really don't think that's realistic in life. Those who follow Jesus can absolutely be free of all of that stuff. 
and more. But we have to believe. We must believe that it's right. We must believe that it's real. And when we do, that truth will set us free. Those who follow Jesus are freed by Jesus. But we must believe Scripture. And then finally, we we have to believe in Jesus. And really, this should have been first, but I wanted to end here. Previously in John chapter 8, Jesus has been teaching and preaching. And as he does, it says in verse 30 that as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And then to those Jews who believed in him, he spoke what we just studied. And so the promises that we've just looked at, they're real, they're right, and they're real, but they're only for those who believe in Jesus. But if we don't believe in Jesus, then there's no promise that we'll be free indeed. So if we believe in Jesus, though, here are our promises, so here's what we must do. And in this, I think we're just reminded that, that everything rises and falls on Jesus. But there, is, there is nothing... There's nothing that God does that he does not do through Jesus. Everything in our spiritual life always rises and falls on Jesus. If we want freedom that Scripture promises, we must believe in Jesus. But belief in Jesus is not just a general belief. But it's not just believing that there's a God out there somewhere. It's not even enough to believe that Jesus was real. As we've seen, an intellectual belief, a knowledge of things, doesn't change who we are and what goes on in our life. What we're to believe, it's very specific. And it it focuses on Jesus and who he is and what he's done. But we do have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We do have to believe that he rose again on the third day. But we also have to believe that what he has done on the cross, that is the only hope we have. But believing in Jesus for our salvation is not believing in myself for my salvation. But believing in Jesus is not believing in, in anything I have done or will do for my salvation. In order to embrace Jesus as Savior, I must let go of self-sufficiency. And I must let go of self-righteousness. I cannot cling to the fact that I added something to my salvation and Jesus for my salvation at the same time. I cannot cling to the fact that I am not that bad and to the cross where Jesus was slain at the same time. If I'm going to embrace Jesus as my Savior, I must let go of my self-righteousness. I must let go of my self-sufficiency. And I must say that if I will be in heaven, it will be because of Jesus and what He has done and nothing else. That in Him and Him alone, I trust for my salvation, my righteousness. And one day when I see Him in glory... All praise and all honor will belong to Him for what He has done. That's what believing in Jesus means. Now those who believe in Jesus, they will be saved by Jesus and they will be freed by Jesus. But it's important that we understand that believing like this, it is an intentional, willful act. 
that we must all do on our own. No one can believe on Jesus on your behalf. No one can call on Jesus to save you on your behalf. Only you. We are each responsible before God to call on Jesus to save us. Now, it's a free salvation. We believe, yes, I'm going to cling to that. We cry out. He saves us that all of the promises of God become yes and amen to me in Christ Jesus. So I wonder, why would someone not believe in Jesus? I mean, why wouldn't they want all that Jesus offers? I think Jesus gives us the answer. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus said people reject him because they love darkness more than light. Now, part of what this means is that they love sin more than the Savior. You know, the sad truth is not everybody wants to be set free from their sin. I mean, whatever the sin that's enslaving them, some people like their sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season. There's comfort in that. There's enjoyment of that. They they don't want to be let go. You know, since Jesus died for sin, it, it makes sense that those who believe in Jesus, that they'll do what they can to put sin out of their lives. I was sharing the gospel with that atheist friend I was telling you about earlier. And he said, I'm not a Christian, but I know if you believe it, you have to live it. He had no faith in God, but he got it. If you're going to believe in a Savior that died for sin, well, you need to put sin out of your life. He understood that it was crazy to live a life of sin while claiming salvation from the penalty of sin. Given by a Savior who died for sin. But there are some. And they love their sin more than they love the Savior. So they'll not come to Jesus and receive his salvation and freedom. I mean, if someone were involved in an adulterous relationship, receiving Jesus and the salvation he offers, it means they'll stop. It means they will stop that affair. Because as a believer, they're not going to live in that sort of sexual sin. But if they love Sin, more than they love the Savior, they're going to reject Jesus and stay in that relationship. And there are many other ways. But coming to Jesus, it, it does mean I'm going to have to put that down. Fight it to the death, Scripture says. So if I love sin more than I love the Savior, I'll reject Jesus and, and I'll stay loving what I love the most. My sin. Others reject Jesus in darkness rather than light because they love their self-righteousness more than they love salvation. You know, I talked about having to let go of our own self-righteousness. Admitting that that I've sinned. And that the cross, I mean, the cross is bad. When you, you watch, say, the passion and what happened to Jesus, that's a pretty accurate depiction of what he went through on our behalf. I mean, and that wasn't because he was a, a bad guy. And that wasn't because he he made the wrong people angry. I mean, it was my sin. That happened because of me. My sin. That happened because of your sin. And apart from that, there's, there's no hope. There's no way to be saved. There's no way to have the condemnation removed. Now, that's a, that's a humbling thought. That the horrific death Jesus died was because of me. 
And that apart from his death and faith in him, I cannot be saved. Well, pride's a big thing. We like to think we've earned it, that we've done it, that somehow we have pushed ourselves over the top. Salvation requires us to let go of all of that. And some people, their pride keeps them from humbling themselves and admitting that they desperately need Jesus. And apart from Jesus, they have no righteousness of their own. They reject the Savior because they love their self-righteousness. Salvation is always based on what Jesus has done for us. And what the Holy Spirit does in us, alerting us to this truth. However, salvation does not come automatically to anyone. We do have to intentionally choose to receive Jesus and the salvation that he died to provide. And we must come through Jesus because everything that comes from God comes through Jesus. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.